Hi, I'm award-winning accountant and business advisor Nishi Patel, and you're listening to the Unrelenting Drive podcast. This is essential listening if you're running a small business and need the motivation to scale it. I'll be talking to successful business owners to understand how they built their dream, the adversity they had to overcome along the way, and the advice they would give to someone starting up. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Tom Bedford from the Agenda Partnership. Hi, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And it, just to start with, if you could let people know what you do. Of course. So Agenda Partnership are a uh, recruitment and training company. So two separate businesses, uh, recruitment being our sort of core business, um, the business that we started with um, back in 2012, um, which came from my background and my business partner's background was was in recruitment. So naturally came together and um, went, went and run with, with Agenda Partnership, which um, we're now in our 11th year of trading. So efforts go really well uh and then on the separate side of the organization we have training so we uh run professional training courses on leadership development and personal development uh also in sales and it as well but um we we run multiple sort of leadership development programs for small to medium-sized businesses small businesses uh all the way through to large uh, plcs as well amazing so and uh, i think uh your rich, uh, sorry, your business partner's called Richard, isn't he? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And what were you doing before you started the Agenda Partnership? So, I'll take you back to when I left school. Um, I didn't love education. I hated education. Um, and what I did do was ended up at sixth form for about fifteen minutes, uh, quite literally. Um, decided that it wasn't for me. Um, and before I got home, my parents already knew that I'd left. Um, so at that point, they would say, what, what are you going to do? I said, oh, I'm going to go to college, uh, a bit different. Um, so I chose to do public services. Uh, I had the vision of becoming a police officer. Okay. Um, and I really enjoyed the the year that I was doing in, in college, and I was going to go on and do the second uh, second part of the, the diploma. Um, but then I realized the effort that I needed to fill in a police application for um and also the um i was working part-time so i was working in the evening shift and and actually money was more my motivator at the time so i started in a contact center uh telemarketing so uh quite literally making 60 70 dollars an hour um you know at the point it was giving away free magazines so subscriptions uh, for people that had magazines uh, and I, I took to it really really well um and after my first year of college, I decided I'm not going to go on and do my second year or my third year. I'm going to go into full-time employment. Um, and that's what I decided to do. So basically born and raised in a contact center um, in Wellingborough, where I was where I was born. Um, moved to another organization in Rushton, um, which was a contact center as well. Um, but they also had a recruitment part of their business. And it, it really intrigued to me. Um, when I first got into recruitment, I thought it was about having lovely chats and coffee, and I didn't realise what what a recruiter really did. Um, and I learned from that, I suppose, my my trade, if you will. Um, initially, I was there to sell online advertising, so this is when advertising online wasn't a thing. Um, you know, people were still advertising in newspapers, people were still using job centre, word of mouth. Um, and I was selling the fact that jobs can go online, and that was like a, a big thing. Uh, I was really, really successful in that, but I wanted to do something else. I wanted to go into industrial recruitment. Um, 
for my sins, I did for about four months because I, I just wish I didn't never left my my last job. Um, and I met Richard at my first job in recruitment. Um, so he was my manager. Um, and then he moved on and went to a business and, and sort of said, come with me. So I went with him uh, at the time. I pretty much doubled my salary um, and everything. Life was good, right? I was 20, nearly 21. Um, I didn't have any dependents. I didn't have a mortgage. Uh, my, my salary had just been doubled. I was like, yeah, this is this is it. So you, you mentioned like um, you had this sort of a preset mind, mindset about recruitment. You thought it would be a certain way. What was the reality of of what you saw when you actually went into it what was the the biggest surprise to you or the biggest difference to to your own expectations so so as a junior recruiter as someone learning how to uh sell because you know, this that's getting right recruiters are glorified telesales people in a, in, a, in a way you know because there's the graft of developing relationships building a network um that's hard work that's that's real hard graft and that's what a lot of recruiters tend to to not want to do anymore that's why people tend to come out of recruitment um because it becomes it's a, it's a real challenge uh, so as a junior recruiter didn't didn't pick anything off that i didn't think that was going to be part of my job role yeah. um i thought recruitment was interviewing people and that was it you know and i was really good at speaking to people yeah but i didn't realize that there was a bit before that it's almost like building a house you don't just lay bricks on the floor, right? You you have to build the foundations. Well, actually, the the way I was thinking of it is, it's probably like being on a stage, and you have to sell your services and then sell the house, right? So exactly. May, yeah, maybe similar to in recruitment. So someone going into a state agency that was naive like I was would probably just think they're just going to sell houses from day one. Yeah. But where does houses come from, and how and who am I selling for? Yeah. All that stuff that I didn't think about. Um, you know, who am I going to be recruiting for? Yeah. What am I going to be recruiting for? How am I going to find the people? Yeah. Never really crossed my mind. Um, it was more about, I probably had a point in my life when I was 20, 21, where I was lazy. And I thought this would be an easy move for me when I went into recruitment because I, I, I was done with making the 60, 70 calls an hour, cold calling, telesales roles, which I was you know, thankful for because that's where I've got all of my, I suppose, awareness, my ability, my... Uh, strengths from because yeah. if I hadn't have done that I wouldn't be successful in recruitment uh, because I wouldn't have done the the, the hard bit which is the, the, the selling and, and building a brand um, and then obviously tw- 21 uh, me and Richard both worked for a company together in industrial recruitment uh, in Northampton which I just didn't like um, I weren't a fan of being in in sort of warehouses and factories at 4am in the morning and phone ringing whenever I, you know whenever it pleased and um, I, I weren't a fan of that and that again made me and is that an industry thing like people just don't have boundaries in in industrial recruitment if you're into industrial recruitment you you have to be aware that your phone is going to to call and you will be on call yeah you will have hiring managers at organizations at two o'clock in the morning tell you someone has not turned up and you need to backfill that spot right so you'd be laying in bed if I went at two o'clock in the morning, you you answer your phone. I just didn't want to do industrial recruitment anymore. I was very good at uh, permanent recruitment, uh, and I had a very large database of people that just used me because they knew who I was. I'd, I'd, I'd done all of the the hundred calls a day, building those relationships, and you know, in recruitment, you also find uh, companies will follow you. So it doesn't matter where I work, 
um, you know, if you were to use me for your recruitment, I could work for myself or work for somebody else. You probably come to Tom. Yes, unless you could, and that's what happens um, in Hibbertrum. Uh, all I was going to say is, so when you started the gender partnership, did one of you start it first and then the other one joined, or you just said let's do it together? We both decided to move on from the organisation we were at. And bear in mind, Richard, uh, Richard was what was my regional branch manager. So, in recruitment terms, that from where I was was probably three levels above me. Um, and his earning potential, his earning expectation was so much more than mine. So he was used to earning, you know, huge amounts of numbers. When I won, I was 20, 10 and 21. Um, but we both said, I, me and Richard go together really, really well. So as a service person, Richard's like top tier. As a salesperson, I was, and probably still am, really good at it. So, but I was the grafter at the sales side and Richard was the uh, business manager managed large organizations recruitment businesses at md level so he had all of that awareness whereas i was just this if it works it works um had that mentality i had i said no dependence no mortgage had a girlfriend at the time now my wife but you know we lived in her dad's flat rent was cheap i had very you know pretty much a, a phone bill to pay each month and that was it um my risk level was so much lower than what richard's risk level was um, you know, he had kids, had mortgage, you know, all has all of that now, but has had an everything that I now have. So he his I had to quickly get to his level really quickly. Um and I don't mean on sort of just learning different bits about the business because again, yin and yang, we go together really well because he, he does everything that I can't do and I do everything that he can't do. And we, we've got that arrangement where we, we're cool with that. You know, I'm not very good at this and he's very good at that and vice versa. So, why you know, I've never had to challenge myself in a way that I'm uncomfortable with because I've been fortunate enough to have Richard there. Um, and, I've, you know, I've learned from Richard. So, I didn't, I didn't have a clue about how to run a business. I didn't have a clue on how to manage people. I didn't have a clue on anything. I was just a 21-year-old boy probably um that had this opportunity and if you would have asked me when i was 19 do i have ambition to run a business i probably would have said no um and, and actually I fell into the point of well i could go get put somewhere else very easily yeah. at, at that time when i was 21 i could have got a job somewhere else um or i could have gone off and done it myself so i had that decision was a flip a coin moment really heads or tails heads are going to work with Richard tails are going to find another job and be employed tomorrow um, landed on heads so I went with Richard okay? yeah. so that was you know over multiple pots of tea and at the time 20 cigarettes you know yeah. having a conversation about what we're going to do I I had a similar um, decision to make when I when I first started this business because I really wasn't happy in, in a work in, in a job I was doing and but then I realized, actually, I wasn't happy in the one before that. And I wasn't really happy in the one before that. And I, I came to the conclusion, okay, fine, I could, I could go move company. And, but what's, what's really going to change? Like, what is, what is the underlying thing that is making me unhappy um, at, at, these, uh, at these businesses? And ultimately, I, I came to the realization it's like not, not having the freedom to work in the way I wanted. 
And um, I, I know what you mean. It's just like, and I think some people have to go through quite a few jobs before they, they realise actually employment's not right for them. And um, But when I started this business, I was 29 years old and I I had a mortgage, but, and, and no, I wasn't married at that point. I bought a long-term girlfriend. And I, I feel like back then, the level of risk compared to the level of risk now when you've got two kids and you've got to put food on the table and you've got to eat, it's huge. And I, I do wonder if I would make that same decision if I had the kids. But the other side of it, though, is like, you know, this business is nine years old, but, you know, two years ago, we started building the Apex program, um, which is where we went from just doing the accounting work to doing like more financial management and more coaching um, and consulting. And it was almost like a restart or a startup business all over again. So in some ways, I kind of feel I did I, I did restart the business or to have a startup business with the kids. But And I think this time around, I probably felt a lot more pressure than I did the first time. But I, I, time, you know, raises all, all the stress from back then. So I think actually maybe, maybe nine, nine years ago when I started, I, I was under a lot of pressure as well. You see, that's the difference. I had none of that. Yeah. So the decision to start my own company was so easy because I was like, well, if it didn't work, I could get another job. Yeah. And I didn't have the mortgage, the kids, the wife, the, yeah. you know, all of this stuff that for anyone now who's got that, they're yeah. looking. So mine and Richard's story would be totally different because he had, I had it all to lose, whereas he, uh, sorry, I, he had it all to lose. I had nothing yeah. to lose. I grew up on a council estate. My mum and dad owned the house that we lived in. But it was on a council estate. Yeah. So it was quite clear where I lived was, you know, social housing, affordable housing. At the time, you would label it as council housing, right? But you, you, we lived in the middle of it. My, my dad was a bus driver um, and my mum was the traditional stay-at-home mum. So it was, I've got two brothers that are both older than me. Um, you know, that one of them I had to look out for a lot because he's, he's got autism um, and went through a different stage of his life differently. So I kind of, my mentality has always been, I don't care what the result might be. And and someone, so I, I hear the phrase, well, you, oh, you're so lucky. I'm I'm not lucky. I just I just live a mentality that says, if it will be, it will be. If it ain't, it ain't. And, yeah. you know, that, that, if you sit in, I don't worry about nothing. And people go, why do you worry about it? Because if that doesn't come off, I'll do something out. Like, I'll go here, I'll do that. And I think that's helped me put my mentality personally because that helped my drive now if if i put a a blocker on something that says if you don't get to here then you failed or um you need to go and find something else to do or whatever it might be i just don't have that thought process so i just i see the end goal and i just keep moving if that end goal keeps getting further and further away i'm still going in the right direction that's that's probably the easiest way to describe how I think about my days and how I think yeah. about you know where am I going to be in five years? I don't know. I, I wish I could adopt that mentality a bit actually because I worry about a lot of stuff. Like um, and I, I think there was a time you know when I started my business I was worried about what other people would think if I wasn't successful in it. And then when I was uh, after a point in my business and we we built it up and I, then I. Stop being less worried. I, I stopped being worried about that. But then I started being worried about, hey, if this business fails, I might have to get a job. And I was like, I can't work for someone. Yeah. 
Uh, it, it was just, it was something I just could not do as part of my core. Um, and then, so I started worrying about that. I was like, okay, this business cannot fail. And then you, you, we bring on staff and then, you know, your staff become your family to some extent. And then you're like, oh, actually, you know, I, I, fine. I, I don't have to ever have to work for anyone again because if something went wrong, I could always just be an accountant and do it do things myself but what what about those guys and then eventually I, I get to the mindset well you know we, we've always focused on developing our people giving them the right skill set the right soft skills the right technical skills like you know maybe I shouldn't worry about them because they'll always be able to go and get a job somewhere if, if they needed to and gradually I'm, I'm getting to a point and where I I'm kind of I'm becoming less worried about stuff but I think one of the things though is like like sometimes I I envy people who come from a sales background because you your biggest asset is your ability to just pick up that phone and wherever you are in your life if you've got a phone or if you if you can just go talk to someone you can you can do that whereas for me like you know one of my biggest assets was being a chartered management accountant but gradually like you know i've, I've got a place in my career where i feel like you know, the re I really wouldn't want to go back to the ground roots of doing doing all that accounting stuff. I, I like what I do on the consulting side, but there's always, a, I think there's always a lot of mindset stuff when you're when you're scaling the business. It's it's like you know, in in fact the it, it relatively although the finances are, are complex, the 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 mind and and all the limited beliefs and all. all the things that are holding back or, or the irrational things that are holding back from making the right decision they they really do come into it and, you, and you're always you're always trying to deal with that you know about personal life people will say to me tom why do you worry about this or tom why if i worry i won't get there yeah. that that's literally how i think you know so i obviously i think about everyone around me the my awareness of people my emotional intelligence is really high i'm aware about what my thought process might do to something else or to someone else or i'm very I, I don't really talk about how i handle things mentally because i just go i just i just go and and again that's where me and rich go really well rich is a really analytical thinker whereas i'm a i'm i've just do it i'm like how would i describe it, it like a hitman right if you i'm not gonna plan do you just tell me where and I'll do it? You know, that's that's kind of my mentality. That's probably the easiest way to describe it. I'm not a hitman, by the way. Uh, but if so, if someone, you know, I don't I don't plan anything and it, I just get there. And I think maybe I do that so I'm not, I don't feel like I haven't achieved something because I haven't, I don't know what I'm trying to achieve. I've just achieved it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So instead of going, right, I'm going to, I'm going to build a business that turns over a million pounds or I'm going to build a business that turns over five million pounds. I'm just going to do it and then I'm going to look back at it and go, like me, I've, I've got a business that turns over five million pounds. So I'm not going to plan my way there. And But Richards would plan his way there. Yeah. You you, you expand and he provides the logistics, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah. Actually, I, a lot of partnerships I've, I've seen, um, that's usually how it works. Like one one person like just, just has the energy and the momentum to go out and grow it. Yeah. And then the other one comes along and dots the eyes and crosses the t's and um and that's a really important one because yeah i don't want to say richard's not a go get it because no. it really is quite yeah. he, he thinks about it it's very important job yeah he thinks that you know in uh, um if we were to 
define our job roles as an organization, Richard would be the managing director of Agenda Partnership. But for any business owner or yeah. potential business owner who's sitting there going, I could do this on my own. Just do it. Because the more you... People go, what are the pros and cons? I hate that saying, the pros and cons, because if you've got a con, yeah, make it a pro. And if you've got more pros and you've, if you've got five pros, two cons, yeah. people get caught up on the cons. Just think about the pros and the cons become a pro. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned you're in your 11th year of the business. So that puts you in the top 36%, I think. Um, and one thing I've noticed is the kind of people that have to work out pros and cons before they go into the business, they'll never get get to that 11th year. Because it's, I don't think I've ever come across a business owner who had to think about it. It was it was just something they felt like, you know, and, and before they start their business, something didn't feel right in their lives. And when they started that business, it did feel right. Mine was a flip of a coin, heads or tails. Yeah. And it landed on heads. But, but if it landed on tails, you probably still start your business just maybe a year later when... I don't think we would have because, it, it, you know, I, I can't describe how further forward Richard was in his life to how much I didn't have because of age i didn't have children all that sort of stuff which makes a huge like you said earlier about decision making i never had any of that so my decision was so easy whereas all the risk really sat on richard because we're 50 50 partners yeah if richard was used to earning x amount a year a month or what i had to be dragged into that yeah so i was i was all for it because i've never earned so much money in my life yeah but that never changed my mentality where some people might you know, if you if you start earning certain numbers, people will then start resting back on their laurels and going, "This is this is wicked. I don't have to work as hard anymore." Um, and I never had that. I've always looked at other things. I've always gone, oh, "What if we did this?" I'm not creative, by the way. Yeah. I'm not a marketing person. I'm not very creative and thinking about ideas. And I kind of lean on Richard for that. <laughs> he's the he's the brains, if I'm honest. Um, and I, I look at it and go, "Right, what can I do?" Can we do something else, right? So we got, how we got into training is probably quite a, quite an important topic as well because again, this is this is not a deliberate thing that we did. It just happened, um, and how that happened was we we worked for large PLC, and that was initially uh, recruiting. So we recruited fixed term contractors into their uh, training teams, and then six months later, they decided that that program was going to be for three years and they had a recruitment freeze believe it or not and they couldn't recruit these people again through even on the fixed term contract so they had we we directly became a contract recruitment business at that point right so i remember the biggest pain biggest biggest pain that we had and it was christmas eve um, and this it was in the year 2017 i think it was um this this invoice it was a substantial amount um that wasn't paid when it was supposed to be paid and to be in our fairness we didn't have to pay the contractors until the day after boxing day or something like that but we were like no we're going to pay our contractors before christmas um and i just remember it being a very large sum of money and it it nearly broke us to the point of you know if this invoice didn't land we're we're done like we've done it um and for, i think it was like 4 45 and 
refreshing on the uh, the online banking. You know, it's landed, it's landed, it's landed. Came in, and we were like, never want, never want to be in that position again. Yeah. We were having to wait months before we even. You know, at some points we were, you know, maybe even earned about half a million pound. You know, in yeah. you know, and it was it got to a point of going, we can't do this anymore. We can't sustain this. So, you know, recruitment was almost propping up the training business. I'm like, yeah. that can't happen either. Um, you know, we're relying on us doing really well in recruitment just so we could do training. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we fast forward to where we are now, where we've gone through all those real pinch points and pain points from cash flow issues or um, learning about training. And, and actually what we have got is a lovely social pool of people yeah great people um that have supported us in our journey to develop what i've got here which i am going to show to the camera which is our prospectus yeah. uh which we've worked really hard to design um not just to make it look nice but i'm gonna what does your team look like now what what does your business look like now yeah so it's it's heavy on associates uh for obviously delivering training yeah, yeah. recruitment at the moment is uh myself and two two people so it's three of us um we've got to a point of we we grew the business to multiple locations um just before covid yeah um and because there were multiple locations um yeah we have to make decisions on where is our head office going to be yeah uh, you know at the time were people going to be able to work from home it was still like a, who knows because it was you know this is probably a month after lockdown and we've done the best we could to get you know keep people with our team some people decided that they didn't want to work from home full-time mm-hmm. believe it or not i'm like okay so you want to become an employee yeah fine okay um so we lost a few people on the way um over our 11 years you know we've had some really great people yeah um you know, and some people have gone off to do it on their own journey, you know, and open their own recruitment businesses, which, yeah, we can't stop people from doing that. Uh, it's not nice, um, but it's quite nice to know that we've probably raised them enough to be able to do that. Uh, We're really good at recruiting accountants, and uh, but like we, we haven't always had the best of luck with salespeople, though. I think that's the only, uh, that was the only challenge for us. So we've, but it's quite good that you've been able to build up that recruitment team, that sales team. I guess people are always good at recruiting what they do themselves. True. The hardest thing is recruiting a good recruiter. Yeah. What, why is it so hard? Um, for many reasons, really. Yeah. If you're a successful recruiter, yeah. you will either stay put yeah. or you'll start on your own. Okay. If you're a top builder in your business, you're probably earning too much money to have the motivation to move okay. or you're going to go and do it yourself. Yeah. Um, and you're not really accessible to recruiters unless you're going for a headhunt. Um, so there is such thing as a rec to rec. So recruiters, recruit recruiters for recruiters. Okay, that's a specialist little thing because they can they use all their headhunting functions and build relationships with good recruiters and sell them on to recruitment companies. That applies to business development managers as well, because someone's really good set. Then they just well, that's that's another thing. Yeah. He, I would say, I don't know the exact stat on it, yeah. but I would probably estimate 80% of recruiters don't like business development. I don't know. Okay. And that would be another, you know, coming from an organization where you might not have to do much BD um, because you've been there such a, such a while, you've, you've just created your accounts yeah. or you're an account manager or you, you just, you're just okay with what you've got to then move on to do it somewhere else. 
you know, where you're going to have to build a new desk, where you're going to have to do development, business development, or you take some clients just to give you a bit of a leg up, but you're going to have to do that graft bit. And that's the bit that people don't want to do um, for one reason or another. Not comfortable doing it, don't like doing it. Um, people still, then seem to think that I'll, I'll go into internal recruitment because it becomes a lot easier. Yeah. Um, does it? You just don't have the BD bit. Um, you, you're still selling uh, because you've still got to engage with stakeholders. You've still got to be able to hold your ground. You've still got to be commercially aware. You know what, though? I'd, I'd argue if someone's in an industry and they want to take an easy option, then they should really be asking themselves, should they be in that industry? Because, like, cause, I mean, that's just them saying, well, I don't, they don't want to develop, essentially, isn't it? I would say, yeah, but... I can see sometimes there's opportunities to go internal, yeah. which are very hard to pass or come across that you're not going to get the opportunities to again. Yeah. Um, you know, there's going to be, you take companies like Apple, for example. Yeah. If someone come knocks on your door and come and be the head of recruitment for Apple, yeah. you know, no, I don't want to go internal. I'm, I'm quite happy with my, you know, yeah. being at a warehouse in the morning, you know, checking my temps in. Yeah. There's, there's that carrot that's going to be dangled, but if you're coming out of agency which is normally a red flag to other agency owners is oh so what's motivating you to move on from you're doing really well i don't want to do the sales anymore i'm bored of it yeah. you know okay or i don't want to do the resourcing which is the the finding the candidate bit so you want to take away either 50 percent of the the graft or the 50 percent of the bit that actually is the make the way you make money yeah um you don't make money by building relationships with people yeah um you know and 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 again I, I used it. To, I don't want to come across as someone that, that, that uses recruitment as a money-making exercise, right? Yeah. But that's also something else that you define is the bigger the organization you go into. So if you work for a large corporate recruitment business, yeah. you're so commercially driven that people start to become a commodity and people see pound signs. You're helping this person with their life. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Um, and it gets a bit deeper than that. If you want to be deep with it, because you could, why would I move you from here to put you here if I know you're going to fail yeah. and you've already told me you've got kids, you've already told me you've got a mortgage yeah. and that decision to move from there to there is hard anyway. Yeah. So to make it even more of a, oh, go on, you, you'll be really good at it. I never give opinions like that. I never give any advice like that. Mine is if it feels right, it's right. Yeah. If it don't feel right, it ain't right. The thing is, again, with recruitment yeah. and, and training, training's a little bit more... Um, What's the right word? You, you, you're getting into more conversation about what is it you actually need yeah. with training. You do that with recruitment, but the, the trouble with recruitment is training is almost like you, uh, a client is um, committing themselves to you, full stop, yeah. right? You're going to be delivering this or you, you, you start to put programs together for your client. There's commitment straight away. Whereas in recruitment, unless you're in a retained you can start retaining your customers, which uh, if you don't know what that means, you're paying a third in front, yeah. third in the middle, third at the end, um, which is, is quite an old school way of doing recruitment. Um, but if unless you've got that, it's non-contractual. It's, it's no win, no fee. You know. But if, if I'm talking to a customer that I know full well is using eight of agencies, yeah. I'm seeing myself out of it. Yeah. I'm, I don't have the time to, yeah. to be involved in this rat race you know yeah. i'm not going to be involved in it and the client will know that yeah if you're using five agencies on this mm. you do not need me yeah if you want to use two agencies that's fine if you want to use one yeah. 
than use me. But I'm not being involved in the race. Even from their point of view, that must be really inefficient, having to like manage that many different relationships. Well, their point yeah. is, if yeah. you pass them that up, five, yeah. you better catch your work, right? Yeah. But if you just want to do the work, right? You, you just, yeah. You, the thing is, it's in, it just, in today's clients recruitment, and Edward, though, was a talent shortage, mm. still short because everywhere, you know, if you look for a sales person, for example, yeah. they're, they're not readily available and what they want to work. But if you could just imagine that if you're looking for a sales person, yeah. you approach me and say, Tom, can you support me with this? Mm. And I go, yeah, sure. Let's have the brief. How serious are you? I'm going to do due diligence effectively going, what is it you need from me? Um, and then they said to me, yeah, no, I've, I've spoken to seven of Ravens about it for a while. And then, yeah. I'm going to go, you know, do you, so just paint this picture. Mm. Those seven of several agencies are doing exactly what I'm doing. Okay? Yeah. There's a network that's probably the advantage of using someone different. Yeah. They might know someone that we don't know. Yeah. Uh, but effectively, who is a five price street agencies? Yeah. Uh, we're not price street. But who is a five price street agencies? They've all thrown that out there. Yeah. In the same application. They're all they're all registered in the same tablets, prior to all these yeah. top boards, which they're all searching on. If you can just picture a lonely person fishing yeah. in a in a puddle mm. that and they're bringing five other people which put their work into that puddle. Yeah. And hopefully they'll catch a fish. It's not like work. No. If you'll go fishing in the Atlantic, yeah. then it's fine. If you're all fishing the massive sea, you're all going to get different fish, different shapes, different sizes, right? Well, I think you're raising a good point because one one thing I, I found that was quite useful when we've worked together in the past is you don't rely on me to tell you the job role that I need. You, It's it's more consultative, so it's like, you know, what what is the... the person what do they need to do in in the sense what what would their responsibilities be what kind of person do you need and then essentially we're then creating the job role from that and i think uh, that makes a lot of sense because sometimes i've found with recruiters in the past it's just like you, you give them a job title and it, they don't question it they it's just like job title and that's where a lot of the time it goes wrong because i think a lot of business owners they you know they know what they need as a team but sometimes they don't always know how to structure that role and then what will happen is you can end up getting a good candidate into your business but then they'll get frustrated because the role hasn't been structured right or maybe it was misadvertised because it, the, the thing you said it was was actually a different type of job to what it turned out to be you know, right. if someone's using fiber ranges and they want me to support them at the same time um what advantages do i have of over somebody that might not be a business owner mm-hmm. that's never recruited a salesperson before or hasn't got the same background as what I've got in terms of I'm up in sales contact center for many years, right? And before recruitment. Yeah. And then recruitment is still sales. So I am what you're looking for. So I'm basically trying to find somebody that would have been me yeah. at that time. So I find recruiting salespeople fairly easy yeah. because I know the right way to ask you know, questions about that person. Yeah. I'd understand their determination. I'd understand their ambitions, all this stuff, which is either going to be really good for you or really bad. And that goes for every, everyone in the clients. Yeah, and every, yeah, but some recruiters might not think of it like that. Yeah. They'll just go, I don't, I don't care. I'm making money, aren't I? Yeah. You know, and it's going towards my KPI. Yeah. I don't have a KPI. 
yeah, that might be another USB. I don't work towards yeah. target. I don't have meeting. I've got to have 15 meetings a week, yeah. you know, 25 interviews out, 16 places, whatever. I don't have that target. So that might help me not and that's why we don't really i mean we've got targets for our consultants but they're not aggressive targets they're not yeah because if if you want to work night till three yeah and and have a four-hour lunch break you know that's down to you if you do not get here that's that's the problem right so if you're if you're setting someone that target they will achieve it because they've got that flexibility to yeah. get there we're not sitting there going so how many dollars you made today yeah. how many interviews go out tomorrow how many meetings you've been on this week yeah. That's the pressures that people get in other organisations, bigger businesses, branches, and stuff. We don't, we don't target people like that. Yeah, to have that mentality, you really got to trust people. I think because, but actually, yeah, it does make sense. You, you probably, if you hire, if you hire right, and you, you do trust them, and you you know they're motivated by the right things, and actually, you can be a bit more hands off uh, and and let them be free to go achieve stuff. I think where a lot of business owners probably struggle from what I've seen is like they don't. Their, their expectations like you know someone comes in they're effective like two months later and really like you know it can take six months to a year for that kind of um, candidate and um, maybe that's why a lot of businesses never try and build a sales team um, because they just cut they can't play a long enough game or they can't they don't have the cash flows to sustain a long enough game but it's so it's such an important part of well i prefer to, to recruit for smaller businesses than i do bigger businesses because the thought process behind it is a lot more yeah, um, Dan working for a large PLC, yeah. it's quite hit him. It's easy come, easy go. You know, yeah. it, it, you know, I've got big client, big organization clients. Yeah, that I sit there and go, wow, well, why, why are they working with me? Right. Yeah. But they, I, I'm not saying I prefer to work with smaller businesses over that. Um, but I just feel like I get something, I get something out of supporting a smaller business. Yeah. You know, we've got a mutual connection that I've supported yeah. and what that's done for him and his business could, could catapult him forward, right? Just from recruiting two heads. And now, to be fair, it's, it's been three, four heads into his organization. But he, from two recruits, has, yeah. has given him probably 60% of his time back. Yeah. And now he's doing other things and now the business is going in another direction because he's made the decision on two people. Yeah. Those two people were... You know, there they, they was they weren't hard to find, but they had to be the right person, yeah, for his business uh, or their business, and that's you know that's what I like doing. I much prefer that. Yeah, I much prefer that. No, definitely. Yeah. Well, I guess um, yeah, there's a lot to think about there actually. But um, what so what would you say the biggest challenge has been for your business just as you've been growing and scaling it? Um. Apart from the the example that I earlier about yeah. the cash flow, when when we when we transitioned from um, perm invoices to contractors and people dependent on us, and that was, that was a big challenge. Um, COVID was um, was actually quite okay for us. Okay. Um, we we're generalists, which yeah. which meant that some of our clients shut quite literally shut the door. Yeah. Our other clients were doubling their shifts, you know, and. Some of them were producers, manufacturers to the NHS. Some of them yeah. were producing health um, vitamins and stuff. So they were everyone was getting on the health kick. Yeah. So they were doubling in size. They were they were transport logistics companies that we helped support, um, growing a customs team of about 100, 120 people. Oh right, okay. Yeah, in in sort of eighteen months. So I I was kept really busy through through COVID. Um, 
you know, which was great. We we didn't know what direction we were going to go. You know, yeah. lockdown was announced, and and that was you know one of those moments again where similar to the cash flow, um, you had it was almost like, um, yeah, it was every everything was just getting knocked down. So you you'd made all these placements. People were due to start new jobs. People had left jobs. People it was a tough, really tough time. You had all of these people lined up to start work with a new new client or new business within the next sort of two weeks or so, and we were getting call after call after call after call saying, "Can't start this person. Can't start this person. Can't start this person." And then we're like, "Okay, fair enough." So we could just see literally everything was being eliminated from the ledger. You know, it was like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And then all, and then that wasn't the hard bit. The hard bit was then getting in touch with the candidate and going, "Yeah, you were supposed to be starting here on Monday." Yeah, they can't. Well, I've handed him a notice, and yeah, I, I feel really bad. I had nothing I can do. You know, it was tough. That bit was really tough. Um, Castro was obviously the the biggest issue that we had many sort of I say many years ago. It was only about five or six years ago. That was the real sort of pinch point. Um, you know, gross. Um, you know, recruiting good recruiters is tough. Yeah. Um, we were in a location which really didn't help us. Um, we we were. A, I think that was the motivation, and that's why we opened. I opened the site in Milton Keynes, oh. and I recruited more people in Milton Keynes in six months than I had in five years of being in seven location. Yeah. So location was a real big thing for us um, at the time. So we we know we noticed that, but we were comfortable. Um, so we we got comfortable. That was another probably pinch point when you get comfortable. You yeah. you don't want to you know you don't want to get uncomfortable, do you? Yeah, I think you've mentioned a few things. Yeah, the location seems like quite a relevant one. Um, but yeah, okay. And, and what's next for the agenda partnership? So training is is growing massively. I think you know, recruitment is is growing too. Um, I think the the recruitment business will certainly remain at the level it's at, and we'll we'll add we will add additional heads to that in the next twelve months. When you say recruitment is growing. Mm. I, I, just so I can get my head around it, because th- there's a shortage of a half a million people in the workforce at the moment, isn't there? That's all the people that retired early, or maybe that don't want to work because the inferno taught them not to work. Yeah. Um, so uh, that would lead me to believe it was shrinking, but then is it just because you have to fight a lot harder to go and get those candidates now, so actually there's more work to do, which means... So yeah. some organisations that you, you would have worked with before, yeah. Uh, uh, let's say you recruited maybe three people a year for. Okay. Now, because they were doing their own their own recruitment internally, they they were they weren't struggling to find people at that time. And now, all of a sudden, they're going, "We can't find this person. You're going to have to help us." Yeah. So those three recruits that you were doing before for that business before is now turned into fifteen. Okay. So in terms of what I mean by recruitment is busy is more vacancies rather than our desk daily than than they ever have before. It's a essentially because there's a lot more competition in the market. The internal recruiters are they don't have the skill set to. So recruitment's gone harder. So the internal recruiters don't have the skill set to then. Businesses are still growing. You know, I don't want anyone to have the perception of all oh, going into recession. No. I've not even had a conversation yet that builds all. We're gonna we're gonna stop yeah. until we get out of this. You know, see what the next six months. We're not have that conversation with anybody. Motivation's like boom. We're growing. So for me, like we've always overstaffed, and but now more than ever is uh, it, it's just proving to me why you need to do that because when someone leaves, it, it's it takes longer to replace them. So it, and if you don't want like you know operational gaps, 
then you've got to you you've got to do that essentially and um and, and maybe that's what's happening as well a lot of these companies there where before they might have had you know 10 members of staff now they'll probably have 12 members of staff to do the same amount of work and then um you know free people up for training things like that obviously the cash flows and the margins need need to work but um yeah I, c- I can imagine a lot of a lot of the jobs out there are just because um people are factoring it takes longer to recruit yeah the, you know, there's, there's there's natural attrition as well in organisations, yeah. Um, which people go, well, how does that equation work then? Because if people are not leaving jobs, how does that mean there's natural attrition in in businesses? But there's growth and there's attrition. Um, so we don't know about every opportunity in in the world, you know. Um, yeah. And we're not just we don't just recruit from Northampton-based organisations. You know, we're not just Northamptonshire. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I've got clients everywhere. Um, literally everywhere and i've recruited as far as china yeah. you know and i've, recru- I've recruited in madrid i've recruited in in italy you know but that's they're, they're for uk-based organizations that yeah. recruit in in those areas um no i'm not i'm not picturing myself as a as a european recruiter by the way no 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 um but in terms of location it it, it doesn't really doesn't really matter um you know we've always been generalists and we've always had clients everywhere and that stems back to my time with selling online advertising yeah. because people were it didn't matter where you were really because you're putting advert online um so that client base that i was growing there followed me in in different places yeah. and they could be in newcastle they could be in sheffield they could be in wimbledon you know it, it, i'm i'm based here but i support all these locations everywhere yeah. Uh, but yeah and then go back to your uh, sort of growth i suppose for us recruitment uh is going to grow okay uh training has it's just ridiculous um it's a weird yeah it's great really great um so we will be growing uh not just in terms of investment so um the office that we've we'll hopefully when the next by the time this goes out and whatever been exchanged on that's going to be our training center yeah um so it, it's a it's big enough office um to, to house us a training center and probably a tenant or two as well so it's it's far too big for us yeah. right but it was there. It was an opportunity. It's definitely an investment worth it. Yeah, it's you, you got to take those offices as they come up. Like we yeah. we found it, like we was we had an office that we were too small to really fit in, but then we grew to fit the office. Um, but that office hadn't come up for rent for about seventeen years before then. So, um, so yeah, when you when you do find that perfect place, you just gotta you just gotta get on it, and and that's a one of the decisions about growing a business really you've got to you've got to invest today and then get that return like you know later down the line and a lot of people don't have the confidence to do that but again i i just see is most of the stuff we've done is organic yeah you know we we had an opportunity we took the opportunity we ran with the opportunity yeah. and now we like i said we're in our ninth year of delivery and training yeah we've only really over the last 18 to 24 months gone do you know what why are we not selling this to our existing customer base you know, yeah. as much as people want to recruit they want to develop and retain um so that's been a you know a growing growth area for the business and this is where i've changed my direction business development yeah. i'm now starting to look at affiliate a bit of relationships with people that can also go off to sell what we're doing yeah. because they're having conversations with people all the time yeah. about the pitch points yeah. you know, and and the two pinch points that a HR consultancy will come across is recruitment and development. So, you know, people that I'm, I'm working with really successfully 
um, and it's just a base, a, a case sorry, of um, developing those relationships, and and that's kind of what my job role is going to be. Referral partners. Yeah, that that's kind of what I'm focusing on is is the just, uh, strategic partnerships. Yeah. Um, that you know are going to support, and that's where my, my my mentality of business development has changed slightly. It's not about knocking at every every single person's door in Northampton, one of a Kentron, and going, "Do you want to come?" No. Okay. Do you want to come? Because that can get pretty boring. Um, you know, so there's got to be a, a, a way of doing it, um, yeah. and that's going really, really, pretty well. So, yeah, it, I guess uh, really what I wanted to ask you is, what advice would you give to someone starting up? If you're thinking about it, yeah, just do it. Um, if you don't know certain things, yeah. you will get to learn them very quickly because there's not a rule book, there's not a handbook to start being a parent you're not told how to be a parent you just you just you pick it up right yeah. literally the baby's born i'm a dad or i'm a mom i've got to learn how to, to look after this child right yeah similarly with business if you decide to start a business yeah do you need investment if you do be careful what you how you choose that investment we didn't have any investment this this business was started by my my own money and Richard's own money. Uh, we've never looked at investment, never you know, never borrowed a penny of anybody, um, and we will remain that way. Yeah. Just be vigilant on that. I think uh, because I know people that have owned businesses that have had investment, and it's never it's never normally ended well. Um, yeah, as a small business. One thing I've realised is like having loans or investment or funding early on in a business some people would look at it as like a really good benefit but i've always looked at it as a curse and the reason for that is at the beginning of when you start your business you don't actually know what you're doing and the problem with not knowing what you're doing and having investment is you blow the money really really quickly so yeah, well, I've always found like you know, at the beginning of a business, you you, you learn when you're learning stuff. Once you've understood what how to grow your business, once you've understood how to run your operations, that's when the investment then can come can can come in really handy. It's do do what you're good at, yeah, and let other people do what you're not good at. Yeah. So there's services out here like accounting mm. and marketing and recruitment and other areas that if you're good at it. Don't try and do it because you'll it'll cost you more money to unfix a problem yeah. that you've created. We really no need to create it. Um, and yes, people might think I'm a, I'm a small business, I'm a growing business. I can't afford to pay for marketing, or yeah. I can't afford to employ somebody or pay a recruiter to recruit somebody. Whatever the situation might be, yeah. just if you can't, then at least seek advice. Yeah. And uh, I, again, I'm quite lucky and fortunate enough that I didn't do it on my own. And I had someone that was far, far further forward than what I was academically, yeah. uh, experience-wise, all of this stuff Yeah, it was way smarter than me. This is way smarter than me. So I had that luxury to fall back on someone else that knew the answer. Yeah, But I've learned some stuff along the way. I, I would just say, if you can't do it, just, just don't try and do it. Yeah. Um, because you'll cause more damage than what it's worth. You gave me, I guess we're coming to the end of the podcast, but um, you gave me a really interesting stat- a statistic a, a while ago, but I, uh, and I think it was just something about the average amount of time someone stays in a job. 
Um, do you, do you have that to hand? I think was it like most most people are in a job for about two years? Uh, I mean, the average could be. I, I don't I don't know the, the correct data on that. Okay, all right. But yeah, I, I you know you're going to get people that are in lifetime jobs. Yeah. People that have been in a organisation for many years celebrating their 40th working year anniversary in the business right yeah. but then that's different these days now my granddad worked for um perkins which was like a construction company in wannenbrook years yeah. in he celebrated his 50th anniversary working anniversary of that business yeah and he only ever worked there and ret- he started working and retired there and he just don't get that anymore you just, you know, and again, for a business... Why don't you get that anymore? Um, I, I don't know the answer, but if it was me personally, yeah. I think other opportunities always bring themselves to you. Um, and the way that people worked back then to now is totally different as well. Yeah. Um, you think of, you know, even apprentices these days, you know, school leavers, you ask any of them what they want to do when when they leave school yeah. it's probably going to be led around social media or digital marketing yeah um i did this interesting volunteering uh for a i can't remember the name of the the, the business owner. when i was in milton kings and yeah. basically all they did is they reached out to business owners um and asked if they would be interviewed by school uh, by year 10s 11s oh, right. etc and you had you were sat here and there were three of them and it was like a speed dating thing they just kept on one free and then they'll move on the other next three come over right they could ask you anything they wanted absolutely anything they wanted and you could choose if you answered it or not right so the obvious question that a lot of them said is what car do you drive um or uh how much money do you make or whatever the question that you don't have to answer yeah um and I reckon out of maybe 500 students that I've spoke to, yeah, probably a handful actually asked me, what did you do for a living? Oh, really? Okay. Uh, how did you get into the position you're in now in terms of how did you fall into your current role? Because they were just all interested in the materialistic yeah. stuff. And actually, you could ask one question back. Yeah. And what I asked to all three of them is, what do you want to do when you leave school? And I would say maybe 70% or more said digital marketing, social media, something to do with the internet. One thing I really like about business owners and working with them is actually they, they tend to be less judgmental. Like, I, And what I mean by that is when I say business owners, I don't mean the solopreneurs and, and self-employed people. I mean like business owners who've hired staff and like hiring staff teaches you a lot of humility because when you've got staff working in your business you you end up taking responsibility for them and and what they do and then i think there's just this sort of unwritten rule between business owners where uh, essentially we we don't we don't come out we, we're really supportive even when things do go wrong because but then the unwritten rule is also we, we move heaven and earth to fix it but it, i think having staff teaches you that because in the end of the day you can you, because you're vulnerable when you've got staff you you feel vulnerable at times because your reputation is in someone else's hands and and that is one of the good things about um working with small business owners just that level of humility that you get yeah i think they've, they've just had a lot of curveballs thrown at them haven't they? Yeah. They, they, they they've learned how to sort of you know dodge it yes yeah definitely yeah uh but look there's, there's some business owners out there 
there's some hiring managers out there. Um, you know, some clients. I, I, I have to go. You know, there's some development for you yeah. um, as as a person. But that was me putting my training cap on. Yeah. You know, going. Oh, I'm not a trainer, by the way. But I could identify straight away. Yeah. You, you know, I'm very good at reading people, and I think that's just yeah. part of, part of the journey I've been on with recruitment. I know someone's being really awkward, and I know someone if someone's being um, quite aggressive. Yeah, you know, it, there's not. It doesn't take a genius to work that bit out, does it? You know, in terms of you know if someone's being polite or not being polite but you know you, you, you right, and that's another reason why trainers go to hand in hand with recruitment because yeah. you know i know how certain hiring managers handle conflict i know how certain hiring managers or avoid having certain conversations and stuff like that so yeah. it, it's um yeah it, for business owners i i prefer to work with you know, directly because they do they 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 just you know they're just having that commercial awareness i think yeah. So Tom, it's been absolutely amazing having you on the podcast. Is there anything, um, any final comments you wanted to make before we sign off? Just let's say, just if you're thinking about doing it, do it. Um, always seek some support if you need it. Don't make your own mistakes, yeah. uh, or don't make the mistake that it becomes your problem. Yeah. Um, you know, just just don't get yourself in that vulnerable position. Um, and yeah, go for it. Yeah. You know, everyone needs to go for it. Well. So thank you so much. That was some really good words of wisdom. Um, okay. It's been great having you on the podcast. So um, everyone, you've been listening to the Unrelenting Drive podcast, and I'll see you at the next episode.